All right, as I mentioned, I want to talk to us today about the Holy Spirit and, uh, you know, uh, of the Godhead, of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I believe that the Holy Spirit is probably the most misunderstood person of the Godhead, and so I want to set some, st uh, some things straight, uh, and I hope that this, uh, this study, which will probably last about four weeks, maybe five weeks, uh, and obviously we can't cover everything about the Holy Spirit in, in four or five weeks, but you know, hopefully uh, it will uh, shed some light on some questions that we might have. Um, I want to begin in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 is, is where the Holy Spirit is introduced to us, and it says that the earth was void and without form, and the Spirit of God, big S there, the Spirit of God hovered over the earth and began to give it life. And uh, that's the first mention of the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures. But, you know, when we think about great men and women in the Bible, uh, what caused them to be great, and we'll see as we read through this this morning, was that they were anointed or influenced or had the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. Let me just give you a couple of examples before we get to what Jesus had to say about the Holy Spirit. Um, in Numbers chapter 11, uh, the Lord says, I will come down and speak with you there. And I will take of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. This is God speaking about Moses just saying, you know, Lord, it's too much for me. It, the, you know, this, this group of people is too much for me to lead. I can't do it by myself. And so God is saying, I want you to cho uh, choose 70 elders. And, um, and this, is, this is kind of where the story picks up. Um, God is saying, I'll take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they will help you and help carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. And then we see in uh, Judges chapter 6, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Well, you guys know that story that, uh, you know, Gideon shows up. I think he's got about 32,000 men. And uh, God says, you know what, That's, you know, they're coming out against the, I believe it was the, the Amorites uh, that was coming down against them. And uh, God said, you got too many men because if you go out in the battle with that many men, even though you're outnumbered, I think there were 300,000 of the enemy that had come against them. Uh, you know, he said that even if you go with, uh, you know, one-tenth of what they have, the people will begin to think that it was in their power and their strength that they did it by themselves. Um, but but we, we go from 22,000 and then 10,000 stayed, and then God said, you still have too many. And so God says, send the men down to the water to drink, and I'll choose for myself, handpick, and God handpicked 300 men, and it says, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon, uh, upon Gideon. And then we see a, another great example of this in Judges chapter 14, the whole story about this man named Samson. And every time he does something incredible, it's because the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. It says, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him, and the Spirit of the Lord came up him on, in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. And then in Judges chapter 14, it says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power, and he came down to Ashkelon and struck down 32, uh, uh, 30 of their men, stripped them of their belongings, and gave their clothes to those that had explained the riddle. Judges 15, as he approached uh, Lehi, the Philistines came toward him, shouting, the Spirit of the Lord, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power, and the ropes on his arms uh, became like charred flax, 
and uh, the bindings dropped from his hands. And finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. So in one occasion, he takes out 30-some-odd men, and then by himself with the Spirit of the Lord on him, he takes out a thousand men. So, you know, there's something about the Spirit of the Lord uh, that we need in our lives. Now, I want to pick up in Matthew chapter 3. We see Jesus is now 30-some-odd years old. He's just getting ready to begin his ministry. And uh, John the Baptist has already started. He's baptizing out in the wilderness by the Jordan. And uh, John is saying, I will baptize you with uh, water for repentance. Man, listen to this. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I am, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. And he will baptize you. Notice that. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, you know, I've seen a lot of people do some weird things under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I thought it was weird. Maybe you thought it was weird too. But the same people that I thought were weird under the Holy Spirit's anointing were weird without the Holy Spirit's anointing. They're just weird people. And so, you know, if, if this is something that God wants to give us, if it's something that God wants us to have, I'm not interested in what man wants to give me, but if Jesus is saying that I need the Holy Spirit, I need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire, I want that, and you should want that as well. We should not be afraid, but afraid of it. In fact, he goes on to explain in Luke chapter 11, which we were, Vernon shared on last week, at the end of that, uh, verse, chapter 11, it says, that if a son asks the father for an egg or, you know, for a loaf of bread, will he give him a scorpion or a rock? He says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him? And so, let's continue on here. Um, his, he goes on, John goes on to say, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will uh, clear his threshing floor gathering his wheat into the, into the barns and burning up the shaft with unquenchable fire. And then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so for now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And John consented, and as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water and at that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit, that would be the Holy Spirit of God, descending like a dove and light, lightning on him. And a voice came from heaven saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am very well pleased. And so after Jesus, you know, being on the earth for 30, 30 years, beginning to start his ministry, is baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, and then we see him starting his ministry. Then we move to um, John chapter 16, and in John 16, uh, the scripture says, now Jesus is saying, uh, I tell you the truth, it is good for, uh, it, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, which is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Now just think about it for a moment. Just think about if the Holy Spirit didn't come, and Jesus was still on earth today. Just, let's just imagine it for a second. You know, that there's not a Holy Spirit, and Jesus is doing all of the ministry to the world today. Just think about it. Anytime that somebody got sick, 
anytime somebody, you know, needed a miracle, they would run and say, you know, they're, they're like, where's Jesus? You know, well, he's in Espanola or he's in Taos or he's somewhere. We got to find Jesus so that this person could, you know, be healed or be restored or receive some kind of prayer. Remember, Jesus says that greater things that I have done will you do. And the only way that we can do those great things is through the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So he says, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, now notice this, when he comes, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. That's talking about Satan, that his judgment has already been finalized. There's no repentance for him. There's no getting out of it for him. It's just, you know, it's kind of like he is in this holding block, you know, kind of like a prisoner would be until he is sentenced. It says, in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world, First Corinthians tells us that the God of this world, who we know to be Satan, uh, has blinded the eyes of those that, you know, that cannot see the gospel, the truth of the gospel. And then he goes on to say, notice this, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear. But when he, he's talking about the Holy Spirit again, he says, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And Jesus said that about himself He's talking to someone, to his disciples. He says that, you know, I don't speak words of my own. What I hear from the Father is what I speak. And that the Holy Spirit is the same way. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears and will tell you what is yet to come. Now, wouldn't that be good to know? Wouldn't you like to know what is yet to come? You know, we can see an example of this in the Old Testament. Remember when, uh, you know, some of the king, the enemy kings of, uh, of Israel uh, kept setting ambushes, and every time they would set an ambush, the ambush would fail. And so uh, the, the king would, uh, or Elisha would send, send word to the king saying, don't go by this creek, or don't by, go by this meadow, or don't go by this city or this town, because the enemy is lying in wait, ready to ambush you, uh, showing them, telling them things that are yet to come, you know, things that they cannot see. You know, have you ever been warned like that, warned by God? maybe in a business deal, maybe in a relationship, uh, maybe with regard to an investment. You know, don't do this. You just, it's all of a sudden, your peace is gone. You've been, you know, your peace has been robbed from you, and you're thinking about a situation, and you're thinking, you know what, maybe I shouldn't do that. That is the Holy Spirit speaking to you, uh, showing you things yet to come. Or maybe you've had a dream, or maybe, you, you know, you sense something that is about to come uh, that God is going to bless you with. Maybe you've had a vision, hasn't come to pass yet, but God, you know, you hold on to that word of God. He's showing you things that are yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine, and that is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. And so then we see Jesus saying this about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 7. On the last day... That great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so, you know, if we just stopped right there, I think all of us would have the question, God, what does that mean? 
out of my heart, some translations say out of your belly, will flow rivers of living water. But, you know, if, and like I said, if you just stop there, you know, we, we wouldn't have a clear understanding. But obviously God knew that we would have some questions about this, what that means. And so verse 39 tells us the answer. It says, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit. Notice the capital there, capital S, the, the Holy Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. And what that means is that when Jesus was glorified, it's when he was put to death on the cross, put in the tomb, he was dead for three days, and he was resurrected by the power of God. God raised him up, and uh, he was glorified. And so then we move to Acts chapter 1, and we read, After his suffering, it's talking about Jesus, he showed himself to these men and women and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Now, we know that uh, he appeared to them over uh, a 40 days, a period of 40 days, and spoke about the kingdom of God. And so here we have Jesus, the resurrected Christ, the glorified Christ, all right? And remember what uh, John chapter 7 said, that uh, they, they had not or would not receive the Spirit or the Holy Spirit because Jesus had not been glorified. But now we have a resurrected and a glorified Christ speaking to his disciples again uh, in Acts chapter 1. He appeared to them over a 40-day period talking about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion while he was eating with them, uh, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so when they met together and asked him, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel at this time? Is this when you're going to do it? Now, Jesus is trying to tell them about the Holy Spirit. Jesus is trying to tell them about, you know, what's coming, the power, the anointing of God that's going to come to them. And they're still, they still have one question on their mind. God, are you going to, or Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom or uh, restore Israel to its right position? What he was really saying, or what they were really saying, is God, are you going to overthrow Rome? Jesus, are you going to overthrow Rome at that time? And Jesus is just saying, wait a second, wait a second, you're missing it. You're missing the point, and I think we miss the point today. You know, it's not about God or Jesus overthrowing Rome and reestablishing the kingdom to Israel. Jesus is saying, listen, you know, we've got to break it down like this. What he's saying is, you know what, guys, listen, have I been with you so long? I mean, you know, 33 years ago, I left heaven and came to earth. And three, uh, three years ago, I began my ministry. And I ministered in every town and every city and every village that I went to. And I came to give my life for you, to give my life as a ransom, as a payment for your sins. And not only did I die for your sins so that you could be saved, you know, I died to overcome your sickness and your disease. All of these things I've come to do to you. And he said, I can't do anymore. I've, now I'm sending my Holy Spirit, and I've done all that I can do, and now the ball, if, you could, uh, if I could express it that way, is in your court. It's up to you now. I've done all that I can do, all that I'm going to do. I'm sending the Holy Spirit out to you so people won't come to me anymore. They're not, you're going to be pointing them to the cross. You're going to be pointing them to me, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's the story, guys. That is the story. And so, you know, I recently read 
or heard this uh, comment that was made by a, uh, one of uh, the nation's leading atheists, and he was being interviewed by a Jew that was not a believer. And, and at the end of the interview, the, the Jew, this Jewish guy that's doing the interview, asked the guy, he says, well, what if you're wrong? What, you know, what if you're wrong? What if when you do die, there is a God? And he said, well, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. He says, but, but what if? Let's just, you know, what if? What, what, what question would you ask God if you meet God when you close your eyes? You know what he said? He would say, God, why were you so hard to find? This is what he said. He said, the first question that I was asked God is, God, how come you were so hard to find? And as I think about that, I think about our lives as well, that sometimes God is hard to find in our lives, that sometimes people don't see God in our lives the way that they should. And I want people to see God in my life. You know, the other day I had an opportunity, you guys know that Nina and I are building a house, we we're in the house, but now we're doing some of the exterior stuff, and flagstone, patios, and things like that, and I was uh, buying uh, some flagstone and Bernalillo from this, uh, this little uh, store there. And, and the guy, you know, he's seen me come in so often. He's like, are you still working on the same project? I'm like, yeah, I am. And uh, he says, well, what do you do? And I told him about my background a little bit. But then I told him that I was a pastor. And I told him, you know, that what my life was like before I came to Jesus. And I'm not kidding you guys, this guy, it was almost like he was hypnotized. I mean, he was just like gazed, locked in, embracing every word that I was sharing with him about what Jesus had done in my life. And when I finished, I said, have you ever come to the place in your life where you've asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? And he says, well, I go to church. And I said, well, I'm not talking about church. I said, you know, Jesus didn't come to establish another church. Jesus came to die for our sins and so that we could have a relationship with him. And still the guy is just, just you know, he's just got like this gaze upon him, you know, just about what God. I mean, just, you know, hearing someone talk about what God has done in an individual's life. And see, that's your story as well, that every time that you enter into the store, the grocery store, or an office. God's presence and God's Holy Spirit is with you. And there is an opportunity, there will be an opportunity to you, for you every day. We read through the Bible and we, you know, we read the story about the woman at the well and we think, well, once upon a time in the three-year period that Jesus ministered, there was a woman at a well. But I want to tell you that I believe that the three years of Jesus' ministry Every day there was an encounter with someone. Every day there was an opportunity for him to talk about the kingdom of God and express the kingdom of God and his desire and, and the Father's mercy and, and the Father's grace and the Father's desire to see you come into the kingdom of God, that God has made a way. He says, let me go back to verse 4 again. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father, the gift that my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you, are you going to at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? 
And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates. The Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And I believe that when he's saying this, when, he, when he's saying, you know, I've been with you for 33 years. I mean, yeah, I've been with you here on earth for 33 years. I've been in ministry for three years. You've seen me pour out my life. You've seen me go to the cross. You were there when I was beaten, when I was uh, nailed to the cross. You were there. You were part of that. Uh, you know, you know that I died for your sins. I was thinking about Psalm 103. And when we think about all the things that Jesus has done in our lives, this is a good scripture for you to memorize or, or just to know. But in Psalm 103, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, notice the list of things that he says here. Who? God. He says, Who, who forgives all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from destruction? Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies? Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like that? of an eagle. And I want to just tell you that that is the God that we serve today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still the God that, for, uh, that forgives all of your uh, sins. He's still the God that heals all your diseases. He's still the God that will lift you up out of the pit. He's still the God that redeems you from destruction. He's still the God today that will show you loving kindness and tender mercies. He's still the God that will satisfy you with good things. So as we look back through John 16, I want to just point out a couple of things. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin. Uh, you know, the, the Holy Spirit is a lot like um, our body. Our body, you know, if you, uh, you know, you go to bed, you've got a headache or a stomach ache or a leg ache or something, your body is trying to tell you that something is wrong, that something is wrong and you need to look into it. You know, the Holy Spirit works very much the same way. He begins to convict us. And I, sometimes I think that the word conviction has got a bad rap. You know, we, it's kind of like one of those words that we don't want to talk about. But the Holy Spirit begins to touch us and press on us that, you know, uh, Ron, you know, what you did or what you said or the way that you said it, it may have been truth, but the way that you said it had a sharp edge on it and it cut and it hurt. And with our words, we do hurt. And, uh, you know, and this is the way that God begins to speak to us. You know, and, and I know that God's spoken to you that way. You know, maybe you've said some sharp words or some hurtful words to your wife. And, and you know, uh, you, you know, you just, you know, we don't, as guys, we just don't get it. You know, sometimes we just don't get that. You know, we don't understand when we hurt or when we wound or when we offend. But after three days when she hasn't spoken to you, you know that something is wrong. Right, guys? All right, I know you don't want to shake your head, yes, because she's sitting next to you. Um, so, uh, so the Holy Spirit is like that, and he begins to just press on us, you know, that, you know, that what you did, you know, uh, you know, the way that you told that story, or, you know, the story that you shouldn't have told, or the words that you used in that. So the Holy Spirit begins to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment. And, you know, one of the ways that he does that, there's two sides of this. There's the conviction to the believer, and then there's a conviction to the unbeliever. And, and let me just share with you 
uh, I believe that this was the conviction of the Holy Spirit uh, in David's life. And David, this is uh, after uh, he had killed, uh, had Uriah killed in battle, after he had the affair, uh, adulterous affair with uh, Bathsheba. Uh, David is troubled. I mean, he is so troubled. And this is one of those, those uh, psalms of repentance where, I mean, he just pours out his soul, pours out his heart to God. And then all of a sudden, right in the middle of it, bam, God shows up and, uh, you know, heals him of that. And then he goes from this mournful state of, you know, just, oh, woe is me, and God, you know, I just, I, I feel you distant from me. I feel like, you know, I don't have the relationship with, the, with you that I used to have. And then, you know, all of a sudden, God shows up and restores him back into a right relationship. But this is from Psalm 32, and he says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Remember, that's the word, that's the same word that Jesus used when, uh, you know, when he meets Nathaniel for the very first time. And uh, he says about Nathaniel, you know, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel's all like, this is in John chapter 1, by the way. Um, and Nathaniel's all like, well, how did you know me? How do you know? You don't even know me. What do you mean there's no deceit in my life? He said, I saw you before, I believe it was Philip you know, came to get you, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. And uh, you know, I, I believe that that fig tree was a place that was, you know, uh, probably out in the woods someplace. It was kind of, you know, it was Nathaniel's closet where he'd go and get into his quiet time and seek the face of God. And, uh, you know, by the time that Philip, you know, brings him back, I don't know, a couple of hundred yards, quarter mile, half a mile to meet Jesus, and Jesus says this to him, there is no deceit. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now notice what David says. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was sapped as the, the heat of summer. And David's saying, that, you know, this is that conviction. I mean, God's spirit is upon him. God is saying, David, you know, it's time to come back. You know, you're distant from me. Sin has separated you and I. God is saying, Psalm, or Isaiah 59, verse 2 says, our sins have separated us from God. And David knows this. He knows that sin has separated him from God. But notice verse 5, he says, and then I acknowledge my sin to you, did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And so then the rest of the psalm is about you know, David being restored to God in that right relationship. And maybe this morning that you, you know, you find yourself distant from God. And if you look back, maybe there's, a, there's something that's, you know, that's just out of sync in your walk with God. That you know what the Word of God says, but you have said in your heart, I don't care what the Word of God says. I'm going to walk my way, and I'm not going to walk God's way. And God loves you so much that He's saying, I'm not going to let you walk away. I'm not going to let you walk away. I'm coming after you. I am in pursuit of you. I love you so much that I know that death and destruction lie in the path ahead of you. Broad is the way and wide is the gate that leads to destruction to those that, that don't know God and don't want to know God. But God's heart is saying, I'm coming after you. It's narrow as the gate and straight is the way that leads to life. And God's saying, I'm going to pursue you and get you back on that straight and narrow path. Amen? Okay. And then in John chapter 8, um, this is for... 
those that, you know, this, uh, the conviction for the believer is this first part that I read out of Psalm 32, but there, there's a conviction, I believe, to the unbeliever. And Jesus said to the religious leaders, he says, you are from below and I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. Now, you can look at all the religions in the world, every one of them straight across the board. You will never find in any of the other religions, and I'm talking about the mainline religions, not Christianity, but all of the other religions, you will never hear of any of the leaders of those making the claims that Jesus made. He says, you don't, he says that, uh, he says, you're, you're going to die in your sins because you do not, do not believe I am the one I claim to be. He claimed to be God in the flesh. He claimed to be the Messiah. Uh, he claimed to be the Son of God. You won't find that in any of the other religions. You will indeed die in your sins. And that's that conviction that, uh, you know, for the unbeliever, it's a conviction that the religious leaders had during this, uh, during this time. And so... When we think about that, you know, we all know John 3.16, but it's 17 and 18 that I want to think about this morning. He says that, you, you, you know, that the Son of Man didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. But if you don't believe, then you're condemned already because you have not believed in the one whom God has sent. So the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. The Holy Spirit also convicts of righteousness. The Bible tells us that you know, that there are many that think that they can achieve a righteousness. Remember the Greeks that came to Jesus and they said, what must we do to do the works of God? And Jesus just simply said, if you want to do the works of God, you really want to do the works of God, you're ready to get in the trenches and do the works of God? He said, it's simply this, believe on the one that God has sent. That is the works of God, to believe on the one that God has sent. We read this, we pick this up in Romans chapter 3. It says, but now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testified. They saw it, they could see it, they could see it in visions, and they, they got parts of it, but they weren't able to grasp it. This righteousness comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. See, there is no plan B with God. There's a plan A. And the plan A is you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You believe on him. Your sins are washed away. And as part of that believing on him, God imparts to you a righteousness. And that's what happened on Calvary's cross, that God took all of my sin and all of your sin, all of the yesterday's sin and all of the tomorrow's sin, and placed it on Jesus. And we call that the great exchange. In exchange for that, God took all of Jesus' goodness and all of his righteousness and placed it on us. We'll read that again in Corinthians in just a moment. The Holy Spirit convicts of righteousness. That's what Jesus said. He said to the religious leaders, he said, you know, point out my sin. Point out my sin. You see me in sin? Point it out. And they couldn't find any sin in him. And we know today, some 2,000 years later, that an innocent man who had never sinned in his life, he never told a lie, never had evil thoughts or ungodly thoughts, never did the things that you and I do, he was absolutely perfect. 
John describes him as, behold, this innocent lamb of God that will take away the sins of the world. That's how John describes him. And we look at him today and we know that this innocent man was sent to the cross for our sins. And there's a conviction that comes up because I know that I've sinned in my life and you know that you sinned in your life and there is no righteousness in me that's going to be acceptable to God. Not my own righteousness. No, no matter how much I give to the church or how many times I read the Bible or how many times I pray, my only righteousness comes from faith and belief to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's another type of conviction that the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit convicts of the coming judgment. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration of this from Acts chapter 24. In Acts chapter 24, Paul is standing before a tribunal, a court, and they wanted to hear his testimony and what he had to say. It says, several days later, Felix came with his wife, Priscilla, who was a Jewess, and he sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul discoursed, dis, discoursed on righteousness and self-control and judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave, and when I find a convenient time, I'll send for you. See, Paul was talking about a forthcoming judgment, you know, at the end of the age. The Bible tells us that there will be two judgments, a great white throne judgment for unbelievers, and then there will be a judgment for the believers, those that have believed in Jesus Christ, and to see, it's called the judgment seat of Christ, versus the great white throne judgment. The Holy Spirit also convicts sin and of righteousness, and of judgment. But one of the great things that I love about the Holy Spirit that Jesus talks about in John chapter 16, it says that the Holy Spirit will guide you, that he is a guide, that he's a, he's a comforter. Listen to this, in verse 13, John 16, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Psalm 25, David understood this. He says, show, you, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your path and guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Isn't it good to know that we have a guide? We have a, uh, the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us. Um, have you been in that place or ever been in that place where you knew you were about to do the wrong thing or you were concerned, you know, Lord, what should I do? I need to hear from you. you know, I need a word from you. I need direction from you. I need direction about a job. I need a direction about a school or education. Lord, what is it that I should do? And all of a sudden, you know, the Spirit of God, maybe you didn't recognize it as the Spirit of God, but maybe you thought, hey, this is a good idea. You know, I think I'll do this. And then as you look back, you realize, you recognize that it was the hand of God that was leading you and guiding you and directing you, the Holy Spirit, will do that. He comes into our life as a guide. And I, I want to just tell you, you know, folks, that, uh, you know, I need that guide every day in my life. You know, you as an individual, as a mom, as a, you know, a homemaker, as uh, someone in the, in the business area, guys, if, you're, if, you're, if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit in your life, uh, you're, you're at a disadvantage. But if you have the Holy Spirit in your life, 
and you're a businessman or, or whatever you do, you have a decided advantage every day because you've got your gifts and your talents mixed with the Spirit of God giving you advice, giving you direction, showing you what to do and what not to do. I mean, there are some things in my life that I look back on thinking, had I done that, and somehow God just began to close the doors, close the door, close the door, close the door, and I kept pushing, and God kept closing the, the door, and finally I came to the place where I said, okay, God, I give up. I give up. I'm not going to push anymore. And then other doors begin to open in our life. Other doors begin to open, and, and you have this incredible peace, you know, uh, about what God is doing and what he wants to do, and you look back and you think, you know, uh, you know, uh, God, I'm so glad that you intervened. I'm so glad that you intervened. Anybody been there? All right, a few of you have. A few of you have. Well, I'm going to close right there, and then we'll continue next week with, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, more study of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about some some other things, but um, I, I want to back up to. Uh, John's statement about Jesus. And he says that there's one here in our midst that's greater than all of us. John says that I am. And he says that I am not even worthy to stoop down and to untie his sandals. He says, I baptize you with water, but there's one here that will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Do you see a strong evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life? If you don't, then maybe we should ask the Lord this morning to rebaptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Okay? Uh, you know, as I mentioned from Luke chapter 11, God said that He is a good God. He says that if you're evil and you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who, those who ask, those who ask?